Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter on President's Day. So happy birthday to George and Abe today. So it's um, two great presidents. And I highly recommend that if, if nobody has ever read a biography about those two, it's definitely worth worth doing. So happy birthday. Um, everybody will hear about this show in a couple of weeks, but regardless, we want to wish him a happy birthday. Um, today, we're going to have a great show about uh, CPR and AED usage. We'll get into that in a second. I like. I always like to introduce our our illustrious staff that keeps this show hopping, and that includes Aaron Collins and Maddie Levine Wolf that do our background research for us and all the different topics that we have in health. And you can only imagine how complicated that can get, but they really help us out. And then there's also Matthew Campbell, who's our our production manager, who takes care of all logistics as relates to getting these shows out in a good edited format and also um, adds a little bit of music to each of the shows, which is always nice. I remind my listeners that uh, we have a great website that you can visit at healthchatter.com that has all of our different shows on it and you can see all about us there. I want to uh, always recognize Clarence Jones, who's uh, my great colleague, and co-host partner on on health chatter we've done some great we've had some great discussions together um on and off the air so thanks thanks to you and then also human partnership which is a community partnership organization that that involves a lot of people in the community that and they also sponsor this show and help us get get the word out so thank you to them so today we're going to be talking about, and we'll 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 explain what CPR stands for and AED stands for for our listening audience in a second. But we're going to be talking about that with my illustrious guest Kim Harkins. Kim and I go back a long, long way in the cardiovascular health arena, and she is really uh, second to none when it comes to knowledge about um, CPR and AED usage. She's done some very, very creative things. I forgot, how long have you been in this position, Kim? It's been a while. Well, I've worked at the University of Minnesota for almost 11 years. Okay, uh, yeah. But I have been teaching CPR and working in uh, pre-hospital care uh, for about the last 30 years. Wow, so. wow, wow. So congratulations. So a noted expert. So let's get going here. CPR and AED, cardiopulmonary resuscitation and automated external defibrillators. So um, tell me about the technology. Let's talk about AEDs first. Let's talk about the technology around that. First of all, when did these devices first become available? I mean, it's been you know, first there was CPR, and then all of a sudden AED came into the scene. So when did it first come out? Well, I mean, the science behind the use of an AED dates back to when um, CPR was started. It wasn't, it was in that same arena 
that they were looking at defibrillation. The problem was that in many cases, it wasn't very uh, usable for the public setting. Uh, For example, you know, I can think back even years ago when I was first working ambulance. I mean, the defibrillator that we carried was, you know, probably the size of a car battery and just as heavy. And so it was not um, something that you really saw in a public setting. It was mainly in your healthcare facilities or carried by professionals. It's really been in the last probably 25 years that we've seen this move to the much smaller public access, easy to use, not as complicated devices, which has really kind of changed the arena around what we can do with defibrillators in cardiac arrests that happen in public settings. Yeah, yeah. So so obviously the concept about being defibrillated is is obviously been around, but its availability for the public is a completely different scenario here. So all right, um, front and center um, in the area of uh, certainly with you know CPR and AED usage is um, what we saw most recently on on television right in front of our eyes with um, DeMar Hamlin, um, a professional football player that got struck literally with with a heart attack uh, on the field. So when you saw that or you, you became aware of it, what was it? Talk to me about your reaction and, and what this meant for AED and CPR usage. Well, having worked with this, you know, for so many years, of course, it it wasn't surprising yeah. um, as it was for most people. Most people who saw it were shocked and, and amazed that this could happen to someone who was young and athletic and healthy. And and that, I think, was the, the biggest thing that for the public, they saw this happen. It was very shocking. Um, I saw it. I mean, it's unfortunate. And of course, we never hope that this happens to anyone, um, especially at such a young age. But the opportunity that so many people saw it, and it was such public eye, you know, we know that sudden cardiac arrest is a public health issue. It's, uh, you know, it happens to a 1000 people every day. And, you know, when we're talking about ages, it does not, I mean, it impacts people of all ages. You know, we have cardiac arrest victims that are, you know, adolescents. Um, And so, you know, and especially when we look at even our cardiac arrest rates, we're finding that it's, you know, the average rate is in in the late 50s. So that means we've got some on the far end spectrum of being very young, and some on the other end of being much older. And so I think the biggest thing was the awareness that it provided. It really made people think, oh my gosh, this could happen to anyone, which is what we've been saying for years. Right, right. And you know what? what's also very interesting is um, the response that we saw. Okay, Um, I mean, you saw, you know, grown men, football players, you know, crying on on the field and um so perhaps you know you know for those of us who have been in this field forever um these are the kinds of opportunities i guess you know for public awareness um but again you're right this isn't something new so all right then the next question i have that i'm going to turn over to, to clarence here is this 
regardless of how much training we have, CPR training, and regardless of how much, how many AEDs there are out there, has it made a difference? I mean, is, or or is it just a function of knowing that we have this available when a sudden cardiac arrest strikes? And I think it's important, you know, that is a factor, right place, right time. You know, right. that yeah. event that we watched on television, everything imaginable was there right away. And that Correct. was- Life-saving. Yeah, life-saving. Um, the other thing, though, I think is that we have seen a difference. The In communities where more bystander CPRs performed, where more AEDs are available, we do see increases in survival rate. Those, I mean, American Heart Association says immediate bystander CPR can double, if not triple, survival. And the use of an AED um, can increase that chance of survival by almost 50%. So yeah. we know it's not going to work on everyone, but it, it really has made a difference in improving survival rates. And so I think, you know, the, the biggest challenge that we've faced for years has been willingness to get involved. It's somebody has to take yeah. that first step yeah. and be willing to do what they know, if they know a little bit of CPR or a lot of CPR, doing something, sending someone for an AED. I think that's the, the biggest critical point. And of course, when we went from traditional CPR with compressions and ventilations to hands-only CPR, that was a huge leap. I mean, it yeah. was well supported by the science and the knowledge that you can do compressions until help arrives and that's going to be great for the patient. That is sufficient. Um, that took away some of the other obstacles that people were unwilling to do mouth to mouth. So, I mean, we're getting there. It's that awareness and then the willingness to act. Yeah. You know, um, intimidation, you know, feeling intimidated by it um, or um, scared, I guess, of, of, being involved, even if you know CPR or you know how to use an AED. So you might want to uh, reflect for, for the audience um, knowledge around the idea of a bystander protect, the Bystander Protection Act or law or whatever. I'm not sure if it's national or just in, or if it's state by state, but every, go for that. Every state's a little bit different, but most states have a good Samaritan law in effect. Yeah. Samaritan's law basically says that if you are acting prudently um, and, you know, doing what you know is the, the minimal needed to provide that care, you cannot be held legally responsible for that or legally responsible for any adverse effects. Um, you know, the other thing I think that's been helpful is we did pass legislation here in Minnesota as well that requires dispatchers to provide CPR instruction. And so having that coach on the end of the line when you call 911, because I don't want to get to CPR and AED without reminding people you got to call 911. Correct. Um, yeah. Having that coach on the line, having smartphones where we can pop it on speaker and they can coach us through that, along with the Good Samaritan law, you really it. covers it. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's important for everybody to know. It's like if you make a good concerted effort to try to, excuse me, in this case, save somebody's life. Hello. 
you know, it's nobody's going to be slapping your hand for it. Clarence. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. And, you know, you, you actually took my question uh, that I was going to ask him. Uh, I have been involved in uh, the community doing some work around CPR and around AED. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the things that it's becoming more apparent that there are people and organizations that are using AED. But I was thinking uh, or asking the question about uh, the resistance of people using this because they're afraid it's so complex. Uh, and I think that was kind of what, what Stan was, was talking about. Uh, yeah, I'm not really quite sure where people are at. I know that within my community and in our church, we we actually have an AED machine. And uh, there is also that, that, that whole idea about uh, uh, getting more into other places that you talk about more public places. Uh, because I think one of the things that, that happens <clears throat> is that uh, in many of our communities, we don't see as many AEDs as we would like. So uh, the question for me comes, is it uh, is it a cost thing? Is it a time factor? What What is it that that uh, we could do in order to, to be able to uh, utilize these, these practices more? So I, th I think it's a little bit of both. I think there is still a little bit of a fear factor around them because the first time you turn it on, it's going to be an emergency. And so, you know, the one thing I think that has helped with that is that almost that all AEDs, public access AEDs, they have voice prompts, they have pictures. In fact, we kind of joke that some of them almost look like a child's toy. They're so simple. And so that's been a big change in how AEDs are developed for public access is to ensure the simplicity. The other thing is the price point. Um, they used to be a lot more expensive. And so we are fortunate that as technology advances, that price point is coming down. The other part I think that's a little bit of a struggle is that they do require some maintenance, right? They're not put it up yeah. on the wall and yeah. they're done. Right. Um, they all have an expiration on the battery, obviously. It's got to put out right. a pretty big shock. They all have to have new electrodes. Now, another thing, as technology advances, some of the newer devices that are out there, it's three and a half, four years before you have to replace them. Um, so that's been a plus because let's be real. If we put an AED in a public place, we hope we never are going to have to use it. Right. But in the event you do, there is a cost to replace all those things. I think that there have been more and more, more grants and funding opportunities to help do those types of things. But, it, you know, they are. They're still far and, you know, few between. So, you know, what one thing that kind of came to my mind is this um, fire extinguishers. You know, they 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 say to everybody, you should have a fire extinguisher in your home. Okay, it's updated in the, in the whole nine yards. Do you ever see the 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 opportunity that maybe we're going to see the idea of promoting AEDs in people's homes? I think the the opportunity is there. I think the first step is going to have it uh, required in building codes for buildings of a certain population, similar to fire extinguishers there will be a natural progression from that. Once there is a building code for public buildings that require it, people are going to look at it very much like they do a recommendation to have a fire extinguisher in their home. Oh, well, they have it there. Maybe we should have it as well. Yeah. yeah. Again, that price point and the fact that there are devices out there now that are just 
just clearing FDA that their price point is extremely low. Um, there's even one that's coming from Canada that's a one-use device, and you mm -hmm. can have a subscription where when you use it, they send you a new one. Um, Interesting. And so, you know, I think technology is going to catch us up to that. But I think yeah. that the first place we would have to start is requiring them in schools, um, having something in building codes that requires them much like smoke detectors and, and uh, you know, fire extinguishers. So would you say building codes, um, be a little bit more explicit there. Are you talking like, for instance, office buildings? Or are you talking about apartment buildings? Uh, could be both. Could yeah, be both. Should yeah, be I both, think, probably. I think it really, if it's something that's based on daily population, um, I know that's something we've used in a lot of the work we've done is we tell people to look at their daily population. Like if you have a daily population of, you know, 100 people or 200 people and you have one AED in your building, you're probably fine. But if you go to some of the larger companies in Minnesota where they could have a daily population of, you know, 9,000 people, yeah, one AED is not going to be sufficient. You're going to need to spread them out across your campus to ensure you're covering that population. And and I think there's a fine line in deciding what that is. Because, of course, like we yeah. said, the cost. Yeah, yeah. So, Kim, so let me ask, let me ask yeah, this question, go. Kim. The, the, the population of people that know CPR, what do you think in America... Uh, we have, you know, it, it seems like we talk a lot about it, but do we have as many people doing it as we think we do or what? Well, I think the, the legislation around dispatchers coaching is a big piece of it because I think the biggest missing component is that confidence. I tell people when I'm doing a, a class and we've done some virtual classes even because we know the obstacles to getting CPR training are often cost. You know, if there's a cost to a class where you get a card. Most people don't need a card, but they don't know that. Um, it's time. <laughs> it's being able to get to the place to do the class. Sometimes it's childcare. Um, and so we've tried to get past some of those obstacles. But I tell my classes all the time, have you ever seen CPR performed on TV? Have you ever watched those medical shows and they do CPR? You are just about trained. <laughs> um, if you have watched a TV show and you have a dispatcher coaching you, you can do CPR. So it's that that messaging and that confidence that you could watch it on YouTube. You could take a virtual CPR class and understand enough about the skills that you can do CPR and you can save a life. So um, I, I'm certified in, in CPR. So can you explain to the audience the difference between just well, being certified in it versus not. So there's plenty of courses out there because, of course, our healthcare professionals have to have some proof or a card, a course completion that says they have done the appropriate level of training they need to in cardiopulmonary resuscitation, whether it's basic life support or advanced life support. Yeah. Um, and there are some jobs that may require that type of card. What I think we've done a, a pretty good job in the last probably 10 years is really moving toward the idea that most people don't need a card or a certification to know what to do to save a life. And that has been, that's probably been one of the best leaps in CPR that we've had because it helps people 
get some of that confidence and also know that they don't have to invest uh, you know, money and time into this four or eight hour course to learn how to do CPR. And so the difference really is, is that in the longer courses, they're going to go a lot more into detail. They're going to talk about how to do ventilations, because for a healthcare professional, when the person has been down longer, so meaning they've come by ambulance or they're in the ambulance, ventilations become important. What we really need the message to get out to the public is, is that hands-only CPR, which is what most people need to know, is what you do when you somebody immediately collapses or you find them. And the, the concept is, is that when a person collapses, half of their circulatory system is already oxygenated, right? Yeah, we know the blood yeah. pumps through, picks up oxygen, the heart pumps it out to the rest of the body. Half of your circulatory system still has oxygen in it. And in the first few minutes until EMS arrives or healthcare professionals or first responders, pumping on the chest and moving that already oxygenated blood to the brain, to the heart muscle, those are the best things we can do in the first few minutes. And so that's really the difference. The difference yeah. is <laughs> ventilations, additional skills, or just basic compressions that are needed in the first few minutes. So, so I've, I've never, I've, I've never, yeah, I've never had a, a, a session on AEDs. So will you walk us through it? I mean, just tell us what happens uh, if somebody, somebody should fall out in front of you. What what what, what do we do? What, what happens and what should, what's the process? So I always tell people, if you know there's an AED, go get it first. Don't even start CPR. If you're all alone, go get the AED and come back to that person. Because when a person collapses in cardiac arrest, you can't wake them up. You can't, you know, you don't see them breathing. You call 911, go get the AED, come back and apply the AED. When you open up the AED or turn it on, it's going to start talking to you. And you're mm -hmm. going to see pictures. Cl open up their chest. A lot of AEDs will have scissors if you need to cut something off. And then following the pictures that are on the electrodes, you place them on the chest um, on the right side, just above like the collarbone and on the left side under the arm. And the pictures will show you this, no mystery. Um, once those pads are on and they've been sealed to the chest, the AED will tell you stop compressions. Or on some of the newer devices, it'll tell you stop delivering a shock. So once you've attached those pads, listen to the device. It'll tell you what to do. It looks for that rhythm that it can deliver a shock to if it finds it, it delivers a shock. And then here's the best thing about newer AEDs. It'll coach you through CPR. It'll tell you, put your hands together on the center of the chest, on the lower half of the breastbone, with your elbows straight, lean directly over the patient and compress about two inches. Compress to this beat mm -hmm. and it'll do a beat. And it'll keep giving you those reminders and every couple minutes, it'll reanalyze, look for a shockable rhythm, and tell you hands off, delivering another shock. So picture, and then of course, if somebody else is there, you would start those compressions and send them to get the AED, and then apply it as soon as it gets back. You know, it's interesting. I remember being trained in, in this, and um, clear messaging 
was also another thing. So for instance, if I was doing compressions and Clarence was, you know, standing by and watching or whatever, I would literally point to him and say, you call 911, you know, while I'm pressing pressing away. Is that still part of, of the training? Absolutely. But rather than say someone, Someone, yeah, someone. Yeah, Clarence, and, do it. <laughs> and anybody who's been in an emergency knows, you know, it's it's not a fun time. No, Everybody's feeling stressful. very anxious. It's very stressful. Time seems like it's moving slower than you ever could imagine. And so, yes, being really clear about what you need done. And again, calling 911 right away, that dispatcher, they're going to ask those questions. They're going to say, is there an AED there? Oh, yes, you go get the AED. Has somebody started compressions? Here's what you do. And so I think that, you know, we've hopefully worked with our dispatchers to give those same messages, but you're absolutely right. Being very clear on you call 911, you get the AED. I'm going to start compressions. And then knowing that we get tired, compressions is a lot of work. Absolutely. So when they come back with the AED and they've applied it, have them take over compressions, even if they don't know how to do it, because you can coach them through it. Yeah. And the benefit is, is that then you've got fresh arms that are doing those compressions. You know, and, and we'll get into community stuff in a second. What should people expect? In other words, okay, if let, let's just say I'm pressing away on, on, a, on, a, on somebody, um, what should I expect? Should I should I be seeing something? Should I um, hope to God everything is going to happen? You know, according to oil here, what what is it that people should start seeing or maybe not seeing as they proceed? And I, I think that's probably where we're talking about that kind of fear factor in doing CPRs. People don't know what to expect. Yeah, when somebody suddenly collapses. Sometimes they might have some seizure-like activity. If they have seizure activity, but then you're unable to wake them and they're not breathing, call 911 and start CPR. The other thing is, is that often when they collapse, they might have this weird breathing where they almost sound like they're snoring. But again, if you can't wake them and you can't see good, even regular chest rise, call 911, start compressions. Now, once you're doing those compressions, you know, I hear a lot of our survivors talk about how people who did CPR on them, family members, noted that their skin color changed right away. They became very ashen. The color in their lips changed colors right away. It was very pale and obviously not having blood flow, oxidative blood flow, you get that look. And so often when we have good CPR, so good, strong compressions, we may see their skin color improve a little bit. And that's one indicator. Otherwise, that's the toughest part about CPR is you may not get any feedback. Correct. Yeah. And that's and that's also scary. But the the message for the audience is keep going until you're right. until, you know, emergency personnel come. So Clarence, you know, there's this whole thing going on in the communities and, mm-hmm. and Kim Kim can uh, respond to And by the way, I'm going to talk about barbershops in a second, which I mm-hmm. think is a great idea. But anyway, heart safe 
communities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Heart safe communities, um, what they are, and also being designated as a heart safe community. So let's let's start out with that and then also define for the audience what a community is in this particular case. For instance, is it like a could it be like a church or a synagogue? Or does it have to be like a population of people or something? Go ahead. So one of the things, yeah, one of the things for me was that, uh, and I, again, I, I do appreciate this because this is this is part of what what I'm I'm doing as well. Uh, is is talking about the places where we could be utilizing AEDs and uh, making it uh, more accessible to people. What are, what are the community places? And the Sam was just talking about the barbershops and those kind of places. I said before, I, you know, we have one in our church. But I think part of, of as you're talking, um, I'm thinking about, again, I, I got to go back to this whole idea about cost. I mean, cost close to $3,000, $2,000, $3,000 to do this. And I, I'm wondering, just for me, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the conversation that we need to have with the community about the importance of investing in these kinds of things. Because part of it is that, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, organizations that nine 9,000 members, they may have two, you know, they, they can do that. But because we're starting to see these things happening at, at, uh, at different places, I'm thinking about what kind of conversation do we need to have with the community about the importance of CPR, and about the importance of making sure that AEDs are available. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think what you brought up earlier about what happened in the NFL is a great way for us to start the conversations. Mm -hmm. People are very aware of it. I mean, it's it's been a real catalyst in starting conversations. Um, one thing just to note, a lot of the AEDs that I was talking about with the new technology their price points have come down significantly. Um, we're seeing some new AEDs coming on the market right around 12, 1400. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a pretty substantial uh, decrease in price. Um, you know, the other thing too is we recently got a grant to replace law enforcement AEDs. And so we're taking all their AEDs and repurposing them. So there's often groups out there like that that have purchased new AEDs. They still have good usable AEDs that can be used back in the community. And so we've been having those community conversations about think about your community and where you could put these because you don't need to let them sit in a corner. So Kim, do is that 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 kind of information is important because I as I was saying a little bit earlier, I'm working with an organization right now that's looking to to, to do more AEDs in the community. So knowing that that you talk about repurposing AEDs, how would a how would an organization get in contact to find out more information about those things? Do they contact you? Do they contact the, the state? I mean, what, how do we do that? Especially if there is a if there's a self-identified interest in making sure that these are more available. So I mean, you know, right now, of course, they can contact us, but I always try to think about more in general terms because I feel like America, our American Heart Association office here in Minnesota they usually kind of keep a good finger on the pulse of where these things are happening. Okay. And so they can be a good source. You know, they know to reach out to me. They know to reach out to other agencies who may be doing similar work. Um, I'm always happy to have people reach out to me and I try to point them in the right direction. But I feel like American Heart always has a pretty good grasp on where these things are happening. 
And I appreciate that because I think that that's really what we need is to have a focal point where people can go and they can disseminate and and uh, provide resources. So thank you for that. So yes. uh, so let's go back to this heart safe community. All right. So first of all, when did all that start? Uh, how many are there in the, throughout? Let's just talk Minnesota. And um, how is it that if a community, and I'll put the word community in quotes here, wants to be designated, how do they go about doing that? Absolutely. So it's, you know, this was actually started uh, about 15 years ago, prior to me coming to the University of Minnesota. Um, I was working for a healthcare organization and I was doing a lot of their outreach around AEDs and training and, and cardiac arrest. And I had seen actually how they had done this out on the East Coast. And I was kind of intrigued by it. And so I reached out to a couple different groups working on it, asked about replicating their process. And what we did for the organization I worked for is we created this recognition program. Mm -hmm. And basically it was heart safe communities. Um, and so working primarily within those, you know, our PSA or our service area. Uh, when I came to the university, I asked that particular organization if we could make this statewide. And at that point, we partnered the Center for Resuscitation Medicine at the U, mm -hmm. partnered with the Minnesota Department of Health and American Heart Association to create a Minnesota heart safe designation. And the idea behind it is that a, a community designation is primarily like a city you live in. But of course, just like you were mentioning, these businesses and schools and other types of organizations were also interested. And honestly, if you have a business that becomes designated or a school that becomes designated, that can help your community designation. So we actually expanded it to have applications for communities, businesses, and schools. And the idea behind Heart Safe Communities is really following the chain of survival. So based on population or daily population, the entity is required to earn heartbeats or points uh, based on different activities. So following the chain of survival, they can earn points by doing awareness activities. So calling 911, what to do in an emergency, where your AEDs are in your community. Um, they can also gain points by doing CPR training. That's the second in the chain of survival. So early CPR training, having trainings at their organizations, um, ensuring that 25% or more of their daily population or their population is trained in CPR. And then they also get points for public access AEDs, knowing where they are, identifying, even having a training program where they, every once in a while they go out and their fire department just drops a mannequin down and has that organization respond. So they gain points for all that. And then the other parts of the chain of survival are just knowing what is their advanced life support response system. What other things are they doing in their community to be heart healthy? Like, do they have, uh, you know, biking paths? Do is it? Uh, do they have walkable opportunities? Are they doing cooking classes for heart health? And so they can gain points for all of those things. And then based on their population or daily population and the required points for that size, once they've met that criteria, they submit an application. Very simple, all online. And, and that's then, to who? To you or to who? Actually, the Department of Health Department is of Health. where 
our HeartSafe application lives. Um, it's submitted to American Heart Association. They do all of our tracking and monitoring of applications. Mm -hmm. And then I coordinate a committee that reviews those applications and works with communities to help them become heart safe. And so they go out and they, once they've achieved this designation, they go out with road signs that can go on the city entrances, or sometimes they'll help a business purchase a plaque to go up in their entryway. And they'll go out and do a little presentation. And right now in Minnesota, um, I think the last uh, information we had is that over 100 or over 1 million Minnesotans live in a heart safe or work in a heart safe community. Wow. Yeah, so, right. you know, there's a lot of them out there. And now that I've told you about this and for all the listeners who are hearing it, you're going to drive through some small town in Minnesota and say, hey, that's a heart safe sign. Right, um, right. Because yeah. they are a, a shape of the place. state with a heart in it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think this is a great idea. And, you know, I was mentioning barbershops to you, Clarence. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, we, Clarence and I have worked over the years on helping um, people, patrons in a barbershop, get mm -hmm. their blood pressure checked. Well, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. Okay, so we got that go going. Why couldn't or shouldn't barbershops and, be and beauty salons, et cetera, have AEDs? AEDs, right. AEDs. Or and or be trained in in yeah. CPR. You yeah. know, it's kind of a, a natural linkage to the whole concept. And I, I don't I, think I don't think that people are. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Stan. I don't think that people are thinking that far, and I think we should be be yeah, having more yeah. conversations around that because uh, you know when you start talking about the cost coming down, I'm thinking like, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you have some barbershops where you've got 10, 15 guys or 10 or 15 uh, barbers that are there. Uh, there's a lot of things that's going on. And so it would be great to have to have an AED in those shops. Yeah, yeah. What about in um, uh, churches and synagogues and, and mosques? Are, do most, are you aware of, Kim, do most of them have AEDs in them? I wouldn't say most, but I would say a lot. A lot, um, okay. I think it has been, it's definitely something that's been considered. Again, cost was a factor. Right, for right, years. right. Um, but I mean, I know I've worked with a lot of churches and, and places of worship that had AEDs that they put in place. And I've also worked with a lot of small businesses, like you're talking about. One of the things that I always think about when I go out to these places or when I've talked to places is look at your community around you. So if the barbershop happens to have three stores next to it, purchase an AED together, figure out who has the longest open hours and that's where it sits. And you always know where to go to get it. Yeah, um, That can even happen in places of worship. Some of them may be connected to other types of buildings where there's activities that go on or they mm. open up their worship hall for other events. Think about how this can have a broader use. And often that's going to help you with the cost because now you have more people contributing to that cost and that maintenance. So let let you know there's I remember again when I was when I was trained, there's different there was differences in how CPR, for instance, is applied to a child 
or for that matter, even an infant. Okay, can you respond to that a little bit? Sure, I think or and add AED, and an AED. Right. You know whether an AED should be applied to an infant, for instance. And I think they really work to simplify that as well. Okay. Um, if you look at the guidelines, in almost all scenarios, they're going to tell you to do compression only until help arrives. Okay. Now, the biggest difference between children and infants, you know, I think if we start with children, number one, a lot of children just by their size should be getting adult CPR, okay? That's that's probably the biggest misconception because it really is weight-based. So yeah, compression right. only is, is absolutely fine for them. As they get smaller, and especially when we talk about infants, you know, a lot of times it's because of a respiratory emergency that they're in cardiac arrest. So the ventilations do become important. However, again, something is better than nothing. Doing compressions is at least a way to get that started. Yeah. Um, if they're talking to the dispatcher, the dispatcher might coach them on how to do ventilations on an infant, especially. Mm -hmm. And so but again, they've made it simpler. The numbers are simpler. It's not, yeah. you know, oh, we do five for this one and 10 for this for one. For this one, yeah. It's yeah. 30 to two across the board. Same thing with AEDs. AEDs have really improved on how they can be used on infants or children. Um, many of them do still have child pads or they may have a switch. The newest device we have has a pediatric. Um, however, again, something is better than nothing. If all you have are adult pads, let the dispatcher coach you through it. You apply them a little bit differently because, of course, they don't have enough chest space for those electrodes. And see if it will deliver a, a shock. It yeah. may not. But it, it at least the manufacturers have recognized the fact that they probably do have broader use. Um, and again, because children and infant are primarily respiratory, the use yeah. of an AED is unlikely to be the, you know, it can be beneficial, but it's not necessarily the priority. Getting those compressions, getting their airway open again, potentially doing ventilations if they coach you through it. Those are often the first steps. You know, it's interesting. I was I was talking about this with some friends of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago because I knew we were going to be doing this show. And one of them said to me, uh, you know, about CPR, doing CPR with compressions. Don't we have to be concerned about breaking somebody's ribs? Okay, which, okay, that's a good question. And, you know, of course, my response was, I'd rather have a broken rib than, frankly, than a heart attack and not being treated for it. Or... I'd rather have a broken rib and knowing that, you know, I'm I'm gonna get to a hospital or whatever, the rib will will will, will heal. So, you know, but people have that those kinds of, of the other another thing is I feel a little uncomfortable giving CPR to a woman. Okay, if you're a male, okay. Suck it up. You know, it's come on. We're trying to save a life here. Okay. I, I have to say that's where I kind of benefit from having worked with so many cardiac arrest survivors. Yeah. They tell the exact same story. Um, I've had several women who've said, 
oh yeah, you know, I'm sure I was part of that conversation. Oh, I'm not going to feel great if they have to open up my shirt to put on right. an AED. Now right. that they've survived a cardiac arrest, they're like, oh my gosh, please. Thank just you. Yeah, just do it. Yes. <laughs> just do um, it. And, you know, the other thing is with the broken ribs, you're right. Doing good CPR potentially can cause some injuries, but injuries can be fixed. Yes. They are recoverable. Yes. If you do not have a pulse, it can't be fixed. Right, right. right. You're and done. So, <laughs> and most of the survivors will talk about, you know, I had a couple broken ribs, but please, you know, the bruise on my chest from CPR, it's okay. I'm here to tell you about it. Right. Correct. And, you know, the more people that that hear that, I think the better. Um communities clearance yeah no so i was gonna i was gonna say this you know in alignment with what you're saying that people are fearful but knowing uh about this stuff increases the chance of survival am i right so what 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 are the chances of survival with if if people know cpr versus not knowing cpr yeah so as i mentioned earlier the <laughs> chance of survival is doubled if not tripled with early cpr and that's an American Heart Association statistic. We see in communities where they have really good early bystander CPR, and we can look at some of the data that says they had early bystander CPR, they had an AED or first responders arrived early. And communities where they have those, all the chains of survival working, all those links, um, they can have survival rates of better than 50% in those people that get early CPR which that's a, that's a pretty good number when you think about it. We know that not everybody can be saved, that sometimes cardiac arrest is an end-of-life event. Mm -hmm. um, but when you know that in 50% of them, you have a good chance that or better of getting back a pulse and giving them that chance to survive, especially when we're talking about so many younger people, mm -hmm. um, I think that's critical. Absolutely. So, you know, um, in our past past shows, we often reflect on the ideas of prevention, acute treatment, and disease management. So for our, for our listening audience here, what we're really dealing with here is you know, many of the public health-oriented programmatic community initiatives are truly prevention. In other words, getting people trained, getting people comfortable with using the AED, getting AEDs out there. And then if you have to do CPR or apply an AED, that's, you know, part of the acute treatment, okay, scenario that hopefully if, you, if you're the one that's applying this, it won't last very long until you know because hopefully you know emergency personnel will 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 take over. So we're dealing with the prevention and mm -hmm. acute treatment components of healthcare delivery here, which I think you know is is really, really important. And I think it's really important to note as well is that cardiac arrest is not predictable. There are plenty Correct. of things we can do to improve our heart health and reduce our risk for a cardiac arrest. But as we saw in the example on TV with the football player is that that was an unknown scenario. Additionally, many people have underlying 
cardiac conditions that don't have symptoms. In fact, their first symptom is a cardiac arrest. Yeah. Uh, years ago, I worked with a family, their 12-year-old had a cardiac arrest on the soccer field, never had a symptom or an indication prior to that, that he had an underlying heart condition that just had no symptoms. He could have lived his whole life with that condition and not had an event happen. However, because he was exerting himself or, you know, whatever the case may be that day, he had a cardiac arrest. So sometimes the first symptom is a cardiac arrest. And so it is, it's hard to prevent that. And so the knowledge of what to do, as you said, kind of that acute care immediately Mm -hmm. following that's the critical piece. It's, it's it's vital. It's vital. Now, the other thing I'm going to do is just quickly link this to um, populations at risk. So we know um, that certain populations are at higher risk for heart disease, strokes. We've talked about that that as well. So certain certainly in the African American community, Clarence, mm-hmm. um, you know, we see a higher incidence of heart disease that certainly can lend itself to a heart attack or mm-hmm. and and a, a necessary intervention like CPR or AED usage. So this is certainly a um, a wake-up call for yeah. higher risk populations. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I was saying a couple of times that we were really glad to have this conversation because it's a good place to provide information to people and to give them a resource where they could uh, go and they can do further uh, research and also further connecting because it is an issue. People are talking about it, but the, but the question is, well, what do I do about it? And so it was helpful for me to understand that with AED, you have uh, uh, you have uh, uh, instructions. You have, uh, you know, right, I mean, right, I, I didn't right. know, you know I mean? So if I saw that machine, I'm like, okay, what do I do with it? But now that gives gives me more confidence and lessens my fear. And I think that somebody that's hearing this right now is going to probably run into a situation just like that. And, and instead of them being like I would have originally been, they'll now know that all I got to do is take this off and they you know and there was somebody will talk to me. Yeah, exactly. I think that 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 to me is so important in terms of addressing the fears of the of the community members. Yeah. I think I think there's also an opportunity and this is something we try to do a lot. Like Um, You know, we can't be everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Can't be everywhere doing all the training. And there's a lot of trainers out there, but a lot of them are focusing, if it's a business, for those fee classes, the certification. Right, right. And so what we really try to do is we try to empower people to do training. Like if, if you sit through my virtual class and I send you out one of these CPR Anytime kits from American Heart Association, go train your neighbors. Go yeah. train your community because um, they're going to listen to you. You go talk to your family members or your kids or your parents, and you want them to learn CPR. You're giving them that heartfelt message as far as why you want them to know how to do this. Right. And I think we can empower a lot more people to be sharing this message out there that we can teach you how to do CPR. I can pull up a good video or I mm-hmm. can get that American Heart Association kit. Mm -hmm. Or we can watch a virtual training and then go train the rest of our office. I think that's an important message. CPR has really been improved as far as the bystander to a point where 
it's it's knowledge now. It's call 911, push hard and fast in the center of chest and apply an AED as soon as you can. That's the message. Anybody can share it. Absolutely. Wow. You know, um, to that end, one of the things that we like to do on this show is what can we do? Okay, well, one of the things that we could do is, Kim, send us the most pertinent information that you think would be really, really good. Like, you know, you can get a kit or what have you send it to us and we'll, we'll put that up on, on our website for the listeners attached to this particular show. Okay. The other thing, what else can we do? You know, we could be, we could be a continual voice for this. Um, If, if something comes up that's new and innovative, you know, all Kim has to do is call either Clarence or Stan. I need to get on your show. I need to really right. get this message out that there's, you know, AEDs are now, you know, $25 or something, you know, whatever it may be. Okay. So for sure, we'll, we could, we could do that going for other things that we could do right out of the gate. Well, I think, I think you kind of hit the nail right on the head. There's that you need to, you know, sharing this message out with people is really important. And anything we can do to get the word out there and help people, again, feel empowered to know that if they come into this situation, they can do something or they can call 911 and get help or they can grab that AED and it'll step them through it. Um, You know, I would love to be on your show again in the future. Maybe we'll have some good news that we can share out there. Absolutely. Anytime. Any absolutely anytime so thank you thank you thank so you. much kim this is you're a star in in and and we really appreciate having you in in our community and hopefully you know to our listening audience that you know can go across the united states they'll hear things from you that are useful for their particular communities as well so thank you for for being with us today on on health chatter to all the listening audience i want you to be heart healthy and this is one way of, 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 of being that. Our next show after this, we're doing a show on, on suicide and suicide prevention. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, keep health chatting away. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.